Hello, NSA. Welcome to the month of May. This is Jim Cathcart, your host for Voices of Experience. Our theme this month is skills, and what a mix of skills we have for you. Our first interview is with Canadian speaker Alvin Law, a highly successful speaker who was born without arms. Despite his unique situation, he has become a Hall of Fame speaker with a great career. I want to introduce you to my good friend and colleague, Alvin Law. Alvin, welcome to Voices of Experience. Hey, Jim, it's a true honor to be a part of this. I've been listening for years. I've learned a ton, and, and uh, to be able to share some of my knowledge, uh, that's a real pleasure. Well, for the listeners who haven't had the privilege of hearing you speak or meeting you yet, would you give a description of, of uh, what your, your circumstances are and, and how you are positioned as a speaker? Well, first of all, and you can imagine, I've probably given this uh, indication and explanation so many times I lost count. Yeah. Um, I was born without arms, and that is significant. It has uh, given me a different way of looking at the world. I was very fortunate to learn to use my feet. Uh, and although it seems like this conversation is going to be about, and if I can put it this way rather bluntly, that I'm a disabled speaker, um, that discussion doesn't offend me, but it's just not accurate. And the yeah. reason for that is because I was born this way. Yeah. Uh, that is significant in my personal life, and I think it's significant in my speaking life, because I don't come across saying, aren't you inspired by my story? Because quite frankly, the true inspiration in my story, I don't believe is me. I think it's my mom and my dad who raised me to understand that if you think handicapped, you will become that. And didn't we have a quote many, many years ago by someone famous saying you become what you think or however that works? So I've, I've been living it and now I get to speak it. So how did, how on earth did someone with, with your situation end up becoming a speaker? I think I just really was called to it. Uh, I'm just going to give you the honest answer. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Jim, I'm not overly religious, yeah. but I am highly spiritual. And, mm -hmm. and I really mean that. And, and that's not code for anything. You know, a lot of people when they hear that, they go, that's that new age code. No, it's not. Yeah. It's just the reality is I, I have I have great belief in the powers that be. I do not think it was at all a coincidence that I was placed in this foster home. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was at all a coincidence that my mother and father had their way of looking at the world. But as a learning tool for your listeners, here's what I would suggest. Too many people see the bad load in their life as a bad thing. Yeah. And I know that sounds pretty nice for me to say that, but the reality is bad things exactly teach us good. Mm -hmm. They really do. And I think that people that miss that, they just haven't figured themselves out yet, and that's not meant to be uh, you know, judgmental of them. But how many people do you know that they're just carrying a, a grudge, carrying a weight? And then even scarier, they get up on stage and they share that. Uh, I don't know about you, Jim, but I, I don't really like listening to people that bring their weight up onto the stage. My feeling to become a speaker was that there was too many people with disabilities doing that. Mm -hmm. I decided I wanted to take the other approach, not to be different, not to brand myself, but here's my real story. And I tried other jobs. My first career actually was in broadcasting. I was a radio disc jockey. And I really did that as a practicality. You know, a lot of jobs weren't going to make sense to me. And I often joke, I probably wouldn't have been a pretty lousy dentist, huh? <laughs> <laughs> but but radio work made sense. And, and this is extremely important as well. And, and this may sound, you know, a little bit weird to say now. But in 1978, when I was getting involved in media, people without arms weren't welcome on television. 
you weren't journalists back then. You were talking heads and pretty ones. Mm-hmm. So my, my counselors in both high school and college said you could be radio because all kidding aside, you don't need to have that look. You just have to have the voice. Yeah. But what I found is whenever I would go out and do an event as a speaker, yes, but as a broadcaster first, uh, people would ask me about, you know, how do you do this? I'm mm-hmm. there to talk about radio and they're asking me, you know, how do you do this? So it yeah. occurred to me. Maybe I should just try this speaking thing, and that was 1981. You know, you are clearly, um, by the fact of your reality, branded as a guy who has no arms and has mastered his world through the use of his mind, his attitude, and his feet. How does that affect you, you know, having, having the brand that is sort of a fixed item? Well, first of all, I think the bottom line to this is that I am, as you said, very, very complimentary, I might add, the real deal. Yeah. Uh, I think that's extremely important. And, and I, again, I hope nobody is offended by anything I say today, but I think we've all known a speaker or two who has this persona on stage, and then you meet them in person, and they're nothing like that person. Yeah. That, to me, is the key to my brand. Uh, I don't really claim to have inside knowledge on anything, my friend. I never have. Mm-hmm. I just really believe that sometimes we overcomplicate this. We can even overcomplicate our brand. I have an odd situation. I can't play with my brand. Yeah. This is who yeah. I am. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the big buzz lately was content, but it's mm-hmm. absolutely just happened the other day. I was having a, a call with a, a client. They're, they've already hired me. They mm-hmm. wanted to know what I'm going to talk about. I said, you know, I'm working on some new material. It's based on some ideas that I've had. You heard about it in California when I talked about the two truths, yep. you know, Buddhist stuff. And the guy went, excuse me? He <laughs> said, you're not going to talk about Buddhism, are you? I said, no, no, I'm just telling you that I've got some new ideas. He goes, Geez, you know, I don't know. We not sure we want anything new from you. Do you still play the drums with your feet? <laughs> no. So I think a lot of speakers find the frustration that they're always being told they have to have content. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. But I think depending on what your scenario is, you may not have a situation where you can be that way. Maybe it's just your personality. And that's what I think most speakers would get confused by the idea of what am I? Mm-hmm. I think people, no matter where they are in an audience, are looking for some kind of strategic guidance. Some of our listeners are very good at understanding specific things. Maybe they're experts on technology. Maybe they're experts on uh, on em- em- employment issues. Maybe they're mm-hmm. experts on dentistry. I mean, we know some people sure. that are pretty good at that. Yeah. Uh, how is it that you can make a living in any of these areas where you're assuming that people already know this? Well, a long time ago, I figured out people may not necessarily know what you know. It's not about people being ignorant. It's just about people yet having a serving of what you know. When you understand that, you bring to your own plate, as it were, a serving. And and, and it takes all kinds of servings to have a good meal. I, I'm, I'm trying to get away from the metaphor a bit, but you understand? Yeah, but that's good. I don't, yeah. I don't tend to know everything, but you know what? It's interesting to me. I must have figured something out. Not just about overcoming challenges. I think that's the bottom line. Everyone yeah. says, oh, you've overcome yeah. so many challenges. You know what? That's, I don't see it that way. I see that I had this circumstance. I had to figure out a way not to just physically overcome it. But the biggest toll that it took on me was emotional. Mm-hmm. I would say that the biggest missing link in today's society when it comes to our audiences is addressing the whole issue of mental stability. Right. I agree. So that's kind of where I've taken my material away from just being look at me, look at me, look at me. And you, you can't avoid that. Mm-hmm. But to add on and say, if you're a speaker out there listening to this saying, OK, what can I bring to the table that, yes, serves my purpose, serves my my goals and profession, 
But more than anything, what is lacking in our society that maybe I know that I can give to my audiences that is a personal gift to them? Not a corporate mm -hmm. gift, a personal gift. Mm -hmm. Remember one time in the audience who happened to have uh, had a missing arm. Mm -hmm. And uh, she got a prosthetic appliance for that arm. And, and you could tell she was pretty sensitive about it. And going through, you know, what I've gone through, I understand it, not more because I've got no arms, but I had prosthetics. Mm -hmm. So when I get up on stage and talk about the prosthetics, what is my point? My point is that the doctors tried to repair me when there was nothing broken in the first place and giving me arms was simply saddling me with another handicap. So I make this joke about how my mom took me home with these new fake arms and they had big hooks and, and she made me wear them because she was my foster mom. She wasn't my natural born mom, so she mm -hmm. couldn't refuse the service of the medical community here in Canada. Yeah. And when I wore them, she made a patch for my eye so I could run around the neighborhood <laughs> as a four-year-old boy going, army like the pirates. <laughs> now I think that's a pretty funny story. Yeah. Uh, that lady yeah. didn't laugh. She took offense to it. Mm -hmm. I'm not on stage trying to uh, offend anybody, but I don't serve anybody either by sugarcoating the world. I often say on stage, we pretty much all know it's better to have a positive attitude than a negative. I think we covered that one a long time ago. What is it inside of attitude that makes things important? Mm -hmm. You should never assume from the stage that people in the audience have not experienced their own suffering. Yeah. That's why I think sometimes we have to be very careful and strategic about how we come across from the stage about, look what I've been through, look what I've been through. I think everybody's been through something. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. And, and your message, it's interesting, is more your presence than it is your content. You pretty much live your, your message in such a way from the platform that the audience walks out of there thinking, well, if he can handle that, I can certainly handle the fact that the mail was late today, you know? <laughs> yeah. or whatever their item Absolutely. To be. And, and by the way, Jim, I don't know if Jim, but, but while we're on the topic, don't get the impression that I do not have those days too. I have to work very hard at this, but you know, you ready for a cliche? Sure. Attitude doesn't sleep. Are we taking our attitude with us everywhere? And if not, why not? That's... That's inspiring. I joined this organization, in my case, CAPS, or in your organization, NSA, not because of what it can give me, but what I can give back. Mm -hmm. And I know that's a model of the organization, but I think it's just a good business practice, period. You know, we're all looking for what we can accomplish and all what we can earn and all that, and that's not wrong with that nothing wrong with money but i think at the end of the day we really restrict how successful we can be if it's all about the money yeah. it has to be about a, a, a trade-off a back and forth and, and i just all i mean i was raised that way anyways but mm -hmm. as a business model i think we've had success not because i'm just a good speaker but because we're always constantly giving back to this world that has given us so much Thank you. And I tell you, you've given us a great deal today, Alvin. I appreciate you, and so does NSA. Thank you. My pleasure. And everybody out there, remember, don't go to sleep. Keep on working on that attitude. What an inspiration. Thanks again, Alvin. I'm welcoming Ford Sakes back to VOE. And Ford, you know, most of our members know you as the social media marketing guy, but you're also a business builder. You have started from the fundamentals of just you and your ideas and built a business that's an ongoing enterprise now and that you can continue to grow and leverage. Give us some insight into how do we need to think and what do we need to do in order to leverage the assets that we have into something substantially larger. 
Well, I think the first thing that, that I would recommend is that you really become clear on your core competencies and your core expertise. Because at the end of the day, they're not buying a speech, they're not buying a product, they're not buying a service, they're buying a solution or result. Yeah. So I'd get really clear on your value propositions, and I'd probably start there and then look at your assets and move on. So they're, they're buying what you'll do for them. They're not buying you. Right. They're buying the, the, the result of what you're going to do for them. And I think that that's just one critical thing, that if you just did that in your business, that would help you refocus everything. And then if you go back and you look at what you have in your business through that lens, then you're going to start to see the problem areas pretty quick. Mm-hmm. I think most of the the people early in their speaking careers look at the speech and the message, and, and they don't think so much about what the audience is going to do with the message once they've gone. Because they may not remember you or me ever after that speech, but they'll remember a line, an idea, a concept, or a, a, a breakthrough you know, that, that, that occurred for them. Yeah, it's not just the content. It's how that content is delivered with the story and the humor and the memorable pieces. And I think that a lot of people in this business, they get their identity tied to a label. I'm a speaker. I'm a this. I'm a that. And really, I would hope that they would refocus that to really think in the terms of what the market wants and be like, for me, I'm a business growth expert. I want someone to come to me because they want to grow their business, not because I'm a speaker, best-line author, or consultant, or whatever else. How do we go from just being a speaker with content to being a subject expert or solution source who's putting in place something that will continue on? Well, the first place to start on that would be to really think about what problems do you solve that other people will pay to make go away? So Let's have- just – got to let that one sink in. What problems will you solve that, that other people pay to make go away? Yeah, I love that. Let's just pause and let that sink to the bottom. Got it? Got it. Okay. So, <laughs> so then you make a list of all the problems that you solve that people will pay for. Yeah. Then you have to ask the next question, what method – do they want to consume that information? What method do they want to consume? And what do you mean? So, by that? so for example, if if you want to learn how to make your YouTube channel more successful and get millions of views, yeah. Well, you have to ask yourself what delivery method is best. So, do they want to watch it? Do they want to listen to it? Do they want to read it? Do they want to experience? Do they want to interact with it? So, first, you have to ask yourself what problems you solve that people pay to make go away. Then you have to ask yourself, what method do they want to use to consume that information? So once you started doing that for people, what did you need to do to be able to scale your business to a larger level? I always think about leveraging, repurposing, and repackaging. So you, Three things, leveraging, yeah. repurposing, and repackaging. So okay. I start with the core content, and I look at how can I leverage it. And that's where technology came from. So a lot of people might know me as the social media guy, but I don't really care about social media. For most people, social media is not social media networking. It's social media not working. And I know a lot of speakers have used that. That's mine. So just keep that in mind. But it's not working for them. So they spend all their time wasted with these things that just suck their life out of them, and they don't really have a purpose on it. So They become skilled at something that has no value. Exactly. And I only want to use it if it's going to help me. So I I want to look at how how do I – your answer to your question is – How do I leverage it? Well, I look at how can I record it, how can I deliver it, Mm -hmm. and how can I combine it in a method that makes me unique and different. So when I get hired for a keynote presentation for an organization, I'll throw in a pre or post webinar. Sometimes they take me up on it, sometimes they don't, but they always, it's an added value. And I tell them, the price for that is, you know, this many zeros, and I'm going to include it free if you want to book me for this event. And then they're like, well, great. And I'll always say, if it's an association, 
I'll do two YouTube videos just for them to help promote their event and get butts mm-hmm. to the seats. Or if it's a corporation, I'll do postings to ingrain the lessons that we've learned. Sure. So it all comes back to leveraging and using the content over and over again so you're not just chasing the next speech because that model's dead. Unfortunately, when you and I first got into, well, when you got into the business before me, but it certainly, the model has changed and I right. think that people have to change with it. So leveraging was number one and the other two? Repurposing, repurposing, and repackaging. Repurposing would be um, so. So, what's the title of one of your recent books? Relationship selling. Okay, so relationship selling. So, repurposing would be: Have you taken it and made it an EPUB for yes. for, and have you make it a Kindle version? Yes. Have you turned it into a learning management system? Yes. So you have a, a that people can go through a course and they can mm-hmm. do that. So that's the key. So of course you've done that as a skilled yeah. professional, but you want to look at your content and look at how can you take that same message and repackage it and repurpose it. So the second and third variable are almost the same, but it's really But the repurpose method. might be you apply it to a like management the, management scenario instead of just a strictly sales scenario or repurposing it for a different industry. Different industry. Or recruiting members as opposed to selling products or something like that. Like yes. like one of my one of my good friends and clients um, is is Bill Cates who used mm-hmm. to actually do VOE did a couple years ago. Okay. And Bill is an expert on referrals and he particularly works in the financial services industry. We worked with them to expand that same technology into other markets. So real estate, insurance, um, network marketing, and other banking, finances. Because so, it's a it's a fundamental skill right. that can be reapplied in a myriad right. of applications. So you're not giving up your core market by any chance, and you're not contaminating your core market. You're just looking at other people that could benefit from the same information. Very good. Man, that's that's golden. So as you grew your business by doing that, when did you need to add staff, and how did that, that side of your business uh, grow? Yes, so. because I like to hire people that are smarter than me, which is pretty easy. And uh, I, like <laughs> I, them to, I like them to be competent in areas that I'm not strong in. Yeah. So I obviously want to know what they're doing, but I also want to hire people that have more core expertise in a specific uh, modality. Uh, I think people in business are good at one of three things, Jim. They're either good at making something, marketing something or managing something and maybe they're good at all at at two of the three so i'm good at delivering in this case it would be business growth and marketing Mm -hmm. and i'm good at the entrepreneurship the the idea guy and so i know how to market so i can do two of the three but the management area and i was talking to my good friend begin and you know my strength is an entrepreneur not necessarily as a as a manager Mm -hmm. and so i have to hire what hire my weakness rather than trying to make my weakness strong i want to hire my weakness well that's spot on with what i was hoping to get from you today and and i really appreciate how much value you're bringing to nsa thanks for being here thank you Continuing with our exploration of using information tools to expand our speaking services, we return to speak with our special correspondent, Monica Wofford, who has researched best practices in using assessments to better understand and serve our clients. Well, in a previous month, I had the opportunity to visit with Monica Wofford, and Monica has done a a special report for us on the use of assessments, because it seems so many of our members are using assessments either to prep themselves for a speech or a uh, presentation, or to use as a form of connecting them more deeply with the client. Let's talk about the difference between a predictive tool and, and a developmental assessment. It, there's a lot of differences 
and they're called different things. You you mentioned the concept of predictive, and, and the actual tool Steve uses is the predictive index, a, a trademark term, if I'm not mistaken. Ah. Then there are, as you mentioned, the developmental tools, such as the one you use, such as the one we use in Contagious Companies. And there are behavioral tools. There are very surface-level assessments. And so those of us in the business, we all call these different attributes or dimensions mm-hmm. different things. The challenge comes into play when assessments are being used as a piece of your business and your clients want to know more than just your enthusiastic testimonial of its value. Mm -hmm. In other words, they want to know less about how fabulous it is or how long you've worked with it and more about the actual scientific validation, the scientific basis, background, history, perhaps even converse with the developer if, in fact, he or she is still available or accessible. And they want to know things like the relevancy coefficient. Now, for for many of us, those (laughs) terms alone sort of glaze the eyeballs over as we stare into the wild beyond looking for the cue card of what the heck to say next. What we find instead is there are experts out there who have this data. Well, let's talk for a moment about what a, a speaker or a member of NSA needs to do if they have not been using assessments and they want to begin to use assessments. First thing I would look at is to consider just some logistical items. First of all, do you have a budget? And if you do, what's the budget you're willing to invest to help build your business? Because when you purchase a license for any assessment, it's going to become an asset. And so are you willing to invest a certain amount of dollars into building your business through acquisition of an asset? If the answer to that is yes, if you know what that budget number is, then you start going shopping. See what's out there in the market. You can get a disk profile accessed very, very inexpensively. There's also a multitude of them. Uh, So you have to be careful which one you're going after, which needs you're trying to meet. Simultaneously, those of us in the speaking profession had better be darn sure our clients would find value in whatever tool we're wanting to use. Or does our business have a connection with one tool versus another? For example, Steve does a lot of work with corporations in recruiting, in Mm -hmm. hiring. Then he helps develop their skills. Well, it makes complete sense that his business would use something like the predictive index because it is geared toward the hiring process. Contagious companies, we don't focus at all on hiring. We're much more in the area. In fact, our sweet spot is in developing leaders out of those hardworking managers. We help them figure out how to be leaders that produce results. Mm-hmm. That's a developmentally oriented tool. That's a behaviorally oriented tool. So when you're shopping, it also has a great deal of value if you know your target market, your target audience, your primary message, and your primary service. All of those things that we talk about in helping speakers build their business and helping those new speakers come onto the scene feeling prepared and like they've got a strong foundation. Very good. And then finally, I would test the one you're thinking about 
using. Mm-hmm. Don't buy off on something that is, you know, five, six zeros after it just because, ooh, that sounds like what I need and everybody else is using that or, ooh, they had the greatest sales pitch. Mm-hmm. No, get a test of it. Take it to one of your clients. Say, hey, I'm looking at purchasing this and adding value to our business. Would you be willing to be one of our beta test folks? Great lead generator. Yes, also great data on whether or not that's actually a good match with your clients. Those are some of the things I would do first. That's excellent. Well, I can see some speakers saying, well, I just want a simple tool that I can use Mm -hmm. to involve my audience better. In which case, they would use probably a behavioral tool, and they would just do a quick little personality assessment, divide the group, and and work with them based on that in the moment. Whereas Mm -hmm. others would be using a more complex tool, either to focus on developing particular leadership or sales or other types of communication skills, or they take a more ambitious approach to it and actually build an ongoing consulting and coaching business around the use of assessments to determine the needs, then they provide the solutions, then to assess the the payoffs that came from that training and coaching, and then take it on to the next level, you know, indefinitely in some cases. Absolutely. Ironically, Jim, you've just described in large part our uh, business model of, of, or the business model of my company, because we do Love. all of those things uh, with one tool. So it's mm-hmm. also not necessarily about using individual tools for each one of those purposes you identified, but getting a tool that allows you to use it in multiple areas. For mm-hmm. example, we've got an in-class handout, 18, pay, 18 questions, piece of cake, very easy. Not yeah. going to assess someone's entire level of development in that time period. Mm-hmm. We also put it online so they can mm-hmm. take it on their tablet. Yep. But then we also have the online assessment they can take individually for coaching and the entire consultative process that's obviously much more time intensive involves you know, sometimes hundreds of profiles. But it's about the phase one is in in your business. And there are many, your friends and my yeah. friends and our speaker colleagues who are going to use different tools for different things or one tool to cover a multitude of varying depths and degrees of services for their clients. So I would say that our members who are considering the use of assessments would start their search by checking out companies like yours, like Tony Alessandro's, and look at what they're doing and then do some general searches on assessments and start comparing, but don't go into buying mode until you talk to your colleagues and then do some test runs with your clients. I would agree. There's so much valuable expertise among the NSA membership that there's many of us who can save our members the trials and tribulations of finding things out the hard way. So getting that advice from your colleagues and from things like Voices of Experience has an incredible impact on shortening one's learning curve. But also seek out guidance from from the Internet on all kinds of sources Mm -hmm. because it's not fair to your own business to only seek research from one entity Uh, in which you're involved. So do a comprehensive search on all the things available, then go seek out advice, then test, then buy. Well said. Well said. Well, Monica, you've served us well, and I appreciate your research and all the hard work on this. Thank you, Monica, for those insights and for your research. Past National NSA President and Cabot recipient Stephen Tweed joins us now. 
Stephen Tweed, welcome to Voices of Experience. Well, thanks, Jim. It's great to be with you. Thanks yes. for doing this. You bet. And it's a familiar place for you. It is, yeah. And everything, you've been on VOE many, many times. The thing I would love to explore with you, just, just to give some insights to our members that they might not get through knowing you in your NSA role, is that you have very intentionally over an extended time built a business, a consulting business with industry-specific focus and, and such. You've added to it the skills of your, your wife, Elizabeth, mm-hmm. and, and um, the two of you have brought a lot of uh, substance to the table when it comes to growing a, a business as a speaker, trainer, coach, consultant, guide. How, how do you look at it? it? Tell us how you see your own business and then kind of walk us through that evolution. Well, my wife talks about me as the focus guy because I've really uh, tried to work and learn about the, the, the elements of focus and how you can be more effective in any business by, by being focused. And and I learned that through experience. Uh, when I started in this business in 1979, I was pretty clear about what I would do. Uh, I would do anything for anybody at any price just to get a check <laughs> because I had these three kids who had this nasty habit of eating three times a day. And as we know, that doesn't work very well. And well, it doesn't so, work for long anyway. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> And so I was in this, you know, get an engagement, prepare something, deliver it, go get another engagement, customize, and that didn't work. So over the years, I've been narrowing and narrowing and narrowing and narrowing, and and now I may be one of those, uh, you know, handful of people in our association who is very narrowly focused on a very narrow market niche that we have uh, penetrated deeply, and we've got loads of content and we're getting speaking engagements, we're getting consulting engagements, we're creating our own events. And our industry niche is the home health care industry, mm-hmm. and more specifically, these are companies in home health, hospice, and what we call private duty home care. Right. And 95, 98% of what I do is in those, those industry sectors right now. Did you have a background in that industry? I know Elizabeth came from healthcare. Uh, I did not. Matter of fact, my background was underground coal mining machinery and well, there you and go. It was a metal, metal manufacturing and natural fit. Wow! Uh, but it was a case where the industry found me, and uh-huh. as you know, Jim, that happens so often. Uh, in my case, I, I left a big manufacturing company, went out into the speaking and consulting world, and my target was small to medium-sized manufacturing companies. Well, the bottom fell out of that market in 1981, and they weren't buying speaking and consulting. And so I shifted to the service sector. And at that same time, uh, hospitals and health systems said, we need to act more like businesses. And so Mm -hmm. I got some work in hospitals. But then a home health agency came to me to do strategic planning for their board. And they liked what I did. The CEO liked what I did. She took me to her colleagues in the industry and other geographic areas. Then they took me to their state association to speak, and they liked that. Then they took me to the national association to speak. And so we developed an affinity, and, and she became a great friend, and she retired a couple of years ago. And you know you know how it is. You just yeah. build those relationships around people who like you, who become their advocates. And so we learned about the industry. And so we've continued to do research and write and publish and develop online learning. And and so it's been a very exciting journey. And we're, we're not there yet. It's still a journey. We're still learning right. about and what the And you've certainly chosen one that, it, as it turns out, with the aging of the baby boom and just the demographics in the world, there's a huge growing opportunity for that kind of um, 
focus because this, the need's so deep. Yeah, exactly. And some of it's been luck, certainly. But but I, I give credit to a former business partner. In 1990, I merged my company with another guy, and we started growing a consulting business. And and he and I sat down and made a conscious choice to pick an industry. And we had both worked in a number of different industries, and we said, where's an industry that's we know is going to be fast growing for some period of time where we already have relationships established and where there's no one else doing what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And so we picked the home health industry. Uh, shortly after that, I met Elizabeth at the NSA convention. Uh, two years later, we married. I moved to Louisville from the Philadelphia area, still owned that company. And so that really caused me to narrowly focus in that industry because we made a conscious choice that since I was going to be in Louisville, I would be traveling the country right. s- serving that industry. So it was a very interesting evolution from two guys who uh, worked in a lot of different industries to making a conscious choice to focus on, on one. And that's a little bit scary at times. I would think there were many moments when you were tempted to expand beyond that. You know, hey, it's not going quite as quickly as we wanted it to. Let's, let's start branching out. Well, one of the things, the decisions we made at that time was to not put all our eggs in only one basket. Mm-hmm. And so we had really two markets. One was home health all across the United States and Canada. The other was what we called our Reading market. Reading, Pennsylvania was where our office was. And so we drew a circle 100 miles in diameter and the said we'll, market, we'll yeah. do the same kinds of work but with small to medium-sized manufacturing and service businesses in that geographic area. Mm. And we ultimately had some other people serving that market. And that was a case where my partner wanted to be the CEO of a company. I didn't. Mm -hmm. So I said, good, you run it and, and you do that stuff. I want to go out and speak, write, and consult. And so it was an excellent opportunity to really dive deep into that industry sector of home health while we had some other parts of the company to support that. Well, you've been involved for so long in NSA and, and it filled so many different roles serving the organization. You're, you're still involved deeply with the foundation of NSA. So your giving nature has, has really touched NSA. I mean, you've left an imprint that's, that's going to last long beyond the time that you're here. You know, what goes around comes around, and there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that uh, my involvement in NSA has paid itself back many, many times. I can give you specific, tangible parts of our business that have generated millions of dollars in revenue over a 20-year span that came from an individual. You know, I can give you one specific thing that Mark LeBlanc gave me that has generated millions of dollars of revenue. One specific thing that Rebecca Morgan and Susan Friedman together stimulated my mind to generate a business line that's created hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars of revenue. I'm talking about over multiple years of time. So there's absolutely no doubt that, that the relationships that we build the ideas that we get, and then we put those ideas into action. And again, if we can take an idea from another sector and and narrowly focus it on a a category of customers, in my case, it's a narrow niche, but you don't have to be niched in a single industry to apply some of these principles and really grow your business and have great fun with it. So thanks for being on VOE. Thanks, Jim. Appreciate it. Appreciate you doing a great job and supporting NSA. NSA has been around now for over 40 years. And the byproduct of that is that we now have a whole new generation of speakers who grew up in the homes of early NSA members. One of the best known among them is Patrick Henry, son of past president Robert Henry. 
I asked Patrick to assemble some of his peers to explore what it means to be a second-generation NSA member. The NSA is about helping people succeed, and there have been a lot of lives we've touched. But, you know, you got to ask, are, are the baker's kids eating the cookies? In the case of NSA, yes, they are. So, I have asked Patrick Henry to assemble a gathering of some of his fellow second-generation NSA folks and to just talk about what's it like growing up in NSA, then getting out in the world and finding out what the real truth is, <laughs> and then having your own life. Let's listen in. Well, we're sitting here with Becky Pluth, who is Bob Pike's daughter, uh, Jeb Brooks, Bill Brooks' son, and Ramsey Cobain, son of Nito Cobain. And my father was Robert Henry, one of the early members of NSA. And so we are all either directly in the speaking business or in some related field. And we thought it would be neat to just kind of discuss what we're doing, but more importantly, how our parents influenced our careers as professional speakers. So why don't I start? Uh, my dad was a humorist. He started off as a pharmacist and began speaking on industry-related issues. And he described what he did and the speech that he gave as being as boring as reading straight from the Napa Auto Parts manual. And so he began to insert humor into what he did, and eventually people began to pay him or offer to pay for, to do what he was already doing for free, and that's how his career started. By the time you saw your dads do what they did, they were already very good at it. Mm -hmm. And so we don't. And so when we get into the business, you know, we didn't see the struggle that they experienced. Now here I am as a humorist, came into the business in a very different way. And so people oftentimes say, "Well, I see very, I see similarities between you and your dad," and I'm sure you all get that too. But now I use a guitar, and so I've evolved in a different direction from Dad went. But I was influenced primarily just by seeing Dad on stage. Can you agree with that? You mm -hmm, saw definitely. your dad's on stage, and you say, oh, I want a piece of that. <laughs> and so we came into the business probably in a very different way than a lot, a lot of people came, come into it. So I want to pass the mic on to Ramsey. This year, that's my 20th year coming to uh, the NSA convention. Wow. And I started in the youth program and then just uh, kind of evolved as being a, a member of his staff. I've traveled a lot with him over the years, um, often kind of being his advanced team, going to the going to the speech, you know, kind of setting up all the logistics of things. And uh, it's been a great opportunity for me, like you said, to being able to see, you know, what your dad does and being exposed to that, to what your parent does, is has really kind of shaped me and, and uh, who I am and what I do. I, I'm actually a travel writer and reporter and um, often I've traveled to 144 countries writing about um, hotels, airlines, airports, destinations. And as a byproduct of that, I've I just realized, you know, the other day that I'm actually doing some speaking myself um, in a different fashion. You know, I get um, hired to be on travel panels and speaking about uh, a destination or travel trends. And, and that's not something that scares me. And I think we can all agree as children of speakers, since we've been exposed to this through the youth program or just, you know, attending the events and just being a child of a speaker is, is really unusual because mm -hmm. people say, well, my parent speaks too. And, and we have to think, well, not in the same way that, mm -hmm. that right. my parent right. speaks. Right. And you need to understand what my that means. My dad's better than your dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it really, it's given me, and I'm so grateful for this, I, it's, I have no fear of being um, on the platform. And I think that's a huge benefit of being exposed to, to everyone here at NSM. Mm -hmm. My name is Jeb Brooks. My father was Bill Brooks, who was a uh, uh, a sales speaker. I got to start as a football coach, and although he passed uh, away about six years ago, uh, his business has lived on. So we've uh, we've turned it into a training company. One of the most fulfilling things 
for us as a company, not just for me as a son, but us as a company, is that the legacy of impacting so many people's mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. is continuing beyond my father, right? I mean, so it's, it's not as though when he passed away, his message stopped. His message continues. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he's affecting uh, thousands and thousands of people every year uh, with, that, with those, uh, those concepts. Uh, you know, and, uh, and that's a pretty fulfilling thing. That's a pretty powerful thing. Well, I am the daughter of Bob Pike, and I, I attended, I guess, when I was, I guess my first time was when I was 12, and you had the opportunity at that time to get up on stage and present, and you would speak to your parents. So they actually taught you during the week how to give a speech, how to give a presentation, um, how to you know get your hook and your clothes, and you would present to all of these famous speakers who at the time you you have no clue who they are you know there's people their parents they're old fogies so you know I got up I did my presentation as it were speech and got down mortified because I was like oh that was awful we got scored you know like can you make it any worse (laughs) for a 12 year old kid that was my introduction into it and I really loved the rush of it all to help everybody understand exactly what your dad does Bob he started the whole participant-centered engagement. So it's really about the learner, the person in the audience, um, absorbing the information, taking something away with the message. Although we, we had to find, have to find our own voice and our own authenticity, but we all exist in the space that our dad originally occupied. Mm-hmm. I'm a humorist. I don't do exactly what my dad did, but that's how I get booked. You're in sales. You do you know work within the space that your dad carved out, yeah. even though you work within your own authenticity. Mm-hmm. Now, I bought my dad's business on January 31st. So now we have transitioned the company from him, you know, 30-some years with him, 35 years in business with him to me so that it can live on. Creative training techniques won't go away. It's here to stay. It's what I live. It's what I breathe. So although I'm president and CEO now, I definitely am still on the platform. I'm more the vision of the company and getting us out there and keeping the brand alive. Now, Ramsey, you have brothers, a brother and sisters, and we could easily have them sitting here as well and talking about what they're doing and how they were influenced by your dad and kind of the umbrella that he created. Why don't you talk a little bit about, particularly Dina, who's got her feet up right now, going to have a baby here soon. That's right. My sister handles the public relations arm um, of the business, and we have several clients in public relations, marketing, graphic design, and she's the CEO of that company. And uh, my other sister, Christina, and brother Michael, they also work in the graphic design arm of that. Coming to NSA and being around so many thought leaders and uh, um, uh, speakers and, and consultants has been really really uh, a formative part of, of who I am, and I know we could all agree on that. Now, I follow you regularly on Facebook, and, I mean, you are an expert traveler. Give me a tip, something that um, pertaining to travel in hotels. People always ask me, what is my favorite tip? And this is such a simple tip, but always, first of all, to ask for anything that you want. You know, we, we, we're sometimes shy, or we think that someone might be busy, and we, we don't ask for something. But every time I'm about to board an airplane, I always ask, right before I get on, are there any seats with an empty seat open next to it? And literally, 
people have people are moving around. You know, you don't see it behind the scenes. I actually went undercover for a story one day and worked as a gate agent at an airport for an entire day, which is an enlightening experience to see what those people have to go through. It's mm. a really horrible job, <laughs> but pe- you know that seat map is moving all the time. And um, you know, you might be stuck in a middle seat, but ask right before you get on the plane. I bet you there's a whole row that might be open. And that you know, it sounds like such a simple thing, but I rarely sit on a plane a full flight and uh, and you know with somebody next to me. Oh, wow. there's, there's always one or two empty seats and you can grab that seat if you ask for it at the last minute. What I'd like you to explore is the impressions you received from your parents, philosophy of life or work ethic, whatever. It goes back to that adage, people want to do business with friends. That was, I think, the key to my dad's success was he made friends with these people. And these meeting planners, they didn't have a meeting planner speaker relationship. They had a friendship. And so what that taught me is make friends. Be nice. You know, take the time to go to dinner with them. I hear people say, oh, I don't go to dinner with the client. I show up, I give my speech, and I go home. Well, you're leaving money on the table because people want to hire. They'll look for a reason to hire you again. So I guess that's what I took away from my dad. Well, uh, I've been thinking a lot about the question of of what uh, specific kind of piece of life wisdom my father gave me. A fairly simple little quip uh, that's got a lot loaded into it. You know if it's right. You know if it's wrong. If it's wrong, don't do it. Uh-huh. And on its surface, that doesn't seem to really get you because, well, how do you know? Well, you know because there's a whole value system that comes in behind that. And it's really a sense of integrity. And it's really a sense of, of being willing to do the right thing, even if it's not the most expeditious or uh, even financially wise uh, you know, move. But I really think that lesson is pretty powerful. I'll take a different spin. I mean, I think we all could sit here and talk for an hour about what our parents have taught us and the amazing gifts they've given to us. But I learned a lesson the hard way, um, watching my dad commit his entire life, every inch of him, to his business and growing it and becoming what it is today. And unfortunately, with building a business, there was the sacrifice of family. And so... What I watched growing up was not having my dad at what I would consider significant events. He wasn't around. So I learned early on the value of family and how you have to make time. So I choose to leave my laptop at the office so that I will be present when I get home. It's funny because, Becky, when you talk about um, your dad, I mean, really, it's so ironic that the root of what he was doing really is because he cares about his family. Yeah. Uh, you know, just growing up, we've always been exposed to, you know, life lessons at the dinner table or just kind of being fortunate to travel with him and be be around. And just watching how he does that, how he, you know, takes, um, you know, his relationships with people and um, is able to, you know, make them feel valued and, and but also see what they're doing and see how you can, how you can uh, take something from everyone and understand how that could apply to yourself and um, and, and produce good things. Sure, so, sure. And, and it's the work ethic. Working hard, you know, means you achieve big results. Thank you, Patrick, Becky, Ramsey, and Jeb. We will hear more from them in future Voices of Experience. Now let's explore the use of virtual training to reach more people more powerfully. Today we are with Charlie China with Lightspeed VT. Charlie, welcome to VOE. Thanks for having me. You've become a, a recent new member of the NSA world. How did you come into the connection with all of this? Well, initially we, we got involved because uh, our founder, 
started off as a speaker trainer in his own right and created a incredible tool for speakers and trainers, which is essentially Lightspeed VT. Yeah. Uh, he started himself speaking and training to car dealers nationwide, teaching them, you know, sales training. Mm-hmm. This is Bradley. This is Bradley. LEA. And he got frustrated with going out and doing live events. Sales would spike. Week later, they'd be calling him, the dealers would be calling him saying, hey, your training wasn't working. <laughs> so he thought, you know, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I can create something online where I can virtually appear after I do a keynote or a live event and then be able to give them something to where, again, virtually appear, interact with them, ask them questions, and have an accountability factor built in where I can track, monitor, and measure whether or not they got on the platform, what they trained on, how long they trained for, where their strengths and weaknesses are. So it's a learning management system combined with interactive um, video online and with new technology that takes that a step further than any of us have been used to in the past. Correct. If I'm out giving speeches and people are buying my products, isn't that good enough? No, it's not good enough. Why not? Well, some speakers will say, listen, I'm a speaker. I show up. I get paid to speak. I deliver my message, and I'm done. Mm-hmm. Personally, I, I, don't, I really don't understand that, that concept because if you think about it, these individuals are, in many cases, world-renowned speakers. Yeah. They command a certain price uh, as a fee for their service. So the concept is while you're out there doing what you're already doing, you've already got these Fortune 500, Fortune 100 speaking engagements. If they paid you a fee once for an hour, they'll pay you 10 to 20% for your sustainability program monthly of what your fee you know, is. Mm-hmm. And I think the real key for everyone to understand is with virtual interactive training, you can give people choices. You can ask people questions to see where they're at before you start to deliver your training. So if I'm going to teach you, Jim, about keynote speaking, mm-hmm. right, and you want to learn keynote speaking for 2014, yeah. you're a veteran, Okay, I'm not going to start you on the basics of keynote speaking. This is a platform, right? (laughs) However, there may be some things about, you know, teaching you about virtual training, right? So Mm -hmm. if if you clicked on the icon, I can take you from that point forward on things that were important to you. So it's like building the training with options in there that allow me to skip ahead or slow down, spend more time on one thing, or jump completely over some things to something because I've already learned that. Right. So if, if, you've, if you already know it and you've already learned it, you're not going to want to sit there for 30 minutes and listen to something that you can probably even write better than the person that wrote it. In fact, it would cause someone like that to turn tune out. Disengage. Yeah. And that would spoil their attitude toward the training for the balance of the lessons, which might have been vitally important to them. No no question. Yeah. Right. And and at the end of the day, you know, if you're a speaker or trainer, it's, it's, it's not about what you teach. It's about what's retained. That's really, you know, that's really the, the, the key. I mean, I could, I could read your book. It could be a great book. It could tell me where you know the buried treasure is. But if mm-hmm. I don't understand that book, it does me no good. I'm yeah. still as broke as can be if I don't know how to go and bury that treasure. Yeah. The whole thing is about what impact we have on the audience. And you're spending time in the conversion of what I do and people like me into the form that is most easily and most 
profoundly consumed by the people who need those messages and need those skills and, and lessons. You know, no matter what type of plat- e-learning platform or virtual training system you would use, at the end of the day, it, it's definitely a direction if, if you're in this business that, that you need to get into because if not, you're going to potentially lose a client to the competition. Yep. Well, thank you, Charlie. I appreciate your, your sponsorship of NSA. I appreciate your participation in VOE, and I appreciate your friendship as a colleague. We appreciate it. We're looking forward to the next event. Now let's check in with our convention committee to see what's in store for San Diego in June. Here's Dan Thurman. Hi, it's Dan Thurman, your convention chair for Perform 2014, to be held in San Diego Sunday, June 29th through Wednesday, July the 2nd. Since the last VOE update, we've added new incredible presenters to the main stage lineup, including Grammy Award-winning recording artist Freddie Ravel and Dr. Sean Stevenson. And our closing keynote speaker is, drumroll please, Penn Gillette. Las Vegas headliner of the duo Penn and Teller. You might have also seen Penn on Celebrity Apprentice with Donald Trump. When it comes to the theme perform, here is a man who is an absolute master of engaging audiences, creating and delivering incredible experiences. Penn has grown his business and his brand from street performer to Vegas superstar and leveraged ongoing successes in film, television, and much more. By this point, you've probably also heard about Speak Tank, the live main stage segment featuring Alan Weiss, Roxanne Emmerich, Bill Backrack, and the original star of Shark Tank, Kevin Harrington. Three selected contestants will pitch business ideas in search of the right partner, connection, or investment to help them reach the next level of success. Who will win the ultimate prize? (laughs) It could be you. Check out the NSA website for details. Million dollar consultant and NSA favorite, Alan Weiss is delivering a game-changing mega session for us, as will social media sensation, Mari Smith. Mari has half a million followers on Facebook and Twitter, hanging on her every word. And you'll meet her and learn firsthand how she has built such a huge and engaged tribe. You'll also want to arrive a little early to attend Giovanni Libero's pre-convention event, Speaker's Nightmare, (laughs) happening Saturday, June 28th. And also we have Eric Wall, Nancy Duarte, Steve Forbes, and so much more. Please check out the full schedule at nsaspeaker.org. You know, come July 2nd, there will be two types of people. Those who experienced Perform 2014 and those who will wish they had. What are you waiting for? Sign up right now and get ready to grow your ability to perform on stage and in business. See you there. And now a word from our president, Ron Carr. Can you remember a turning point in your career where you learned an invaluable lesson that catapulted you to your next level of success? For me, that moment came in April 2000. It was just after I completed a week in Vegas for a medical imaging company, their first combined sales meeting of 500 executives from two companies they recently merged, two competing cultures they needed to bring together under a unified banner and sales process. 
This engagement consisted of giving the opening keynote and then conducting seven two-hour breakout sessions, and they also purchased 500 sets of books and CDs. You can say that was a quite a profitable week. The turning point for my career came two months after the successful event when I was called down to Greenville, South Carolina to present my full capabilities to the Vice President of Sales and his four top lieutenants. They wanted me to conduct in-depth sales training for the entire team, so I thought. I prepared a great PowerPoint presentation and started talking about what they asked me to present. The first slide was on key account selling. The VP immediately stopped me and asked his lieutenants, if he talks about key account selling, how will the team react? They all held up their thumbs and pointed down. I moved on to the next slide on value-added selling. Again, he interrupted me and thumbs down. And then I talked about value propositions and again, thumbs down. Now totally confused, I turned off the PowerPoint and asked the VP, you asked me to come down and share the skills your team needs to hone and yet you are shutting me down. Please tell me what you're after. And here is where the turning point came. He said, listen, I am like all the VPs you have dealt with in the past. Every year we bring good speakers like you in and do we ever follow up on your advice? And the answer is no, and you become the flavor of the month. With this merger, I have $2 billion on the line and I cannot add a flavor of the month. While you're going to teach these subjects you mentioned, if I position it like that, the sales force will tune you out. He then went on to say, there's a good book out there called The Titan Principle. I need to hire the expert who wrote that book to titanize my sales force. This was the turning point because for the first time I understood the power of branding, positioning, and the motivation behind one's decision to hire us. This VP was not buying sales training. He was buying a process to help unify a split sales team. And to do this, he was going to use the Titan Principle and me to unify his team. The Titan Principle was new, fresh, and a process he could buy off on. It was all about branding, positioning, and motivation. Here's another lesson I learned in this conversation. If he was going to share what he wanted, I may as well ask him how he proposes we do this. He told me first thing we need to do is get the field management to buy off on you and your process. You passed the first step in Vegas. We need to bring all 32 of them to Chicago and have you conduct a two-day program. But do not talk all the time and stay away from theory. Engage them to share their issues and provide answers. You see, up until that point, I always thought I had to do all the talking and carry the entire program. In that event, I challenged the managers to come up with their biggest challenges, broke them up into groups, and then we processed their findings. The whole two days was nothing more than a series of group discussions and reports of findings and recommendations with coaching thrown in by me. Incredibly, the ratings at the end were spectacular, and the group as a whole rated me as one of the best speakers they ever heard. Go figure. The bottom line is this process resulted in a contract worth over $500,000 over 18 months. And just these two learning points helped me figure out how to replicate my speaking career in a manner that has generated a few million dollars of new business since that fateful day. To summarize the key learning points, one, people are not buying your products and services. They are buying outcomes and act on issues they are motivated to solve. Two, 
Do not sell a topic since that is a commodity. Sell your unique brand and, if possible, develop a process and system. With a process and system, you now move from being just a speaker to someone who can help a client with execution. And even if you do not want to have anything to do with anything else but speak, a process or a system can be licensed for additional revenues. And three, before you sell anything, find out the issues your clients are facing and the outcomes they are looking for. If you ask the right questions, often your clients will tell you what you have to do in order to get their business. That is, if you're willing to listen. By now you've heard from my convention chair, Dan Thurman, and Vice Chair Walter Waldman as to why you should attend the NSA convention performed 2014 on June 29th through July 2nd. With Dan and Waldo as your convention producers, I guarantee this will be an experience you will not want to miss. And I also look forward to seeing you and personally shaking your hand. So let's all come together in San Diego to celebrate our successes and learn new things to help us perform better both on the platform and on our bottom line. Until then, keep performing and impacting your audiences. The world today, more than ever, needs all of us. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. We have a number of members whose business model is not the typical speaker, trainer, author, consultant that so many have followed. And some of these folks are highly successful, like our next presenter. See what ideas you can adopt from the way Jane Herlong has grown her career. You may not be like her in many ways, but we can all learn from her approach to this business. Well, today I get to welcome to VOE, Jane Herlong. Welcome to VOE. Where's home base for you? Charleston, I grew up in the low country, and now I live in this little teenancy town in the middle of South Carolina, but it's sweet. Let's do a quick little journey through your speaking career, how did it evolve? Because I know that you've not only been the winner of beauty contests, you've, you've been, you're a professional singer, you're trained in, in music and song, you're a professional speaker, you're active in your community. There's a whole lot of dimensions to Jane in addition to your humor and your writing. Well, Jim, I think it's a pooling of your resources. That's how I look at it. And the pageant world opened doors for me to speak. And after my years in South Carolina, I worked for a tractor promotion company, Alice Chalmers. I was their spokesperson. Outstanding. I sold disc towers and N7 Gleaner combines. It was fun. You have to grow your business and start at a comfort zone. And mm -hmm. agriculture was a comfort zone for me because of my daddy was a tomato farmer. And of course, Thomas, when I married him, was a peach farmer. So a lot of speakers don't realize that's where really where you begin marketing because that's where your confidence is. And, and I had a cousin, Cousin Joe Ben, and uh, he said, you know, Jane, it would be fun to go into the schools and try to motivate these kids. And because I'd been singing in churches, I recorded two gospel CDs back then. They were cassettes. I hate to date myself, but in an LP, for gosh sakes. Yeah. I'll just yeah. be honest. <laughs> Lord of mercy. <laughs> and then, um, so I started speaking in schools. Mm -hmm. And I would do these little self-esteem programs. And my thing was how I came through when I was told I could not achieve and that I was dyslexic and low IQ. And heck, I made it all the way to Miss America. Yeah. So. Yeah. That was perfect for where I was, my age. 
Yeah. I could speak to the kids at the schools. I could do it. And I did it for years until I started having children. Because mm-hmm. it got too crazy. Yeah, I did. I'm not kidding you. I have. I did 200 programs in nine months one time. Whew. That's nuts. Yeah, it is. It's also evidence of the depth of your commitment to do what it takes. You have got to sink your teeth into it hard. If you love it, you're going to do whatever it takes to make it work. Yep. But you got to work where you know you're confident and you can just have a ringer every time. And and that just, then you start stepping out of that. Like for me, that demographic of the kids, mm-hmm. when I joined NSA, I learned about associations. Yeah. I learned, I learned how to market after uh, learning how to actually market to the bigger clients to be able to be a good mother. I'm telling you, you cannot put a price on being a good daddy and a good mother. I am so blessed that I was careful to balance that well. So many people get so caught up because, Jim, you know, this business will totally intoxicate you. Yeah. It consumes you. And what do you have when it's all over? Your audiences aren't going to be there, but your family should. How has your speaking unfolded? I want to be confident when I speak and that what I say to people is what I live when I step off the stage. Yeah. I'm very careful about that. And if I don't feel qualified, I'll tell a meeting planner I'm not qualified for that. Then I started doing more, more humor yeah. and Southern humor. And then and now it's comedy. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of morphed into uh, parodies and original music. So one thing just leads to another to another. Now, you just made a distinction between humor and comedy. Would you define that for our listeners? The humorist sets up a story, and it's maybe three to four minutes, and it has a point to it. Mm -hmm. And comedy is just one laugh after another. How have you uh, monetized that beyond the the speaking engagements themselves? I have um, Sirius XM Radio in my car, and I would see Jeannie's name pop up. I would hear Jeannie. She's Jeannie brilliant. Robertson. Yep. Oh, my gosh. Just unbelievable. And then I heard Patrick Henry. Patrick's wonderful. And Robert. Some of his comedy is on there. And I would study, and I would see the timeline, and I would hear the humor and listen to the laughter, and I'm thinking, I can do that. I would just I would record everything, everything. Then I started dividing it up into segments, and I said, what the heck? I'm going to send it to SiriusXM. I mean, I spoke in Iowa in December, and the meeting planner, he just walks up to me and said, I just heard you on SiriusXM radio. He said, oh, my gosh, he was so impressed. And I was so impressed that he was impressed. (laughs) You school teachers will like this one. I've got a friend that teaches first grade. She said they're just the cutest things. And around last Christmas, she was engaged, and, and she told the first grade class, she said, I got a surprise, I got a surprise. My fiance is coming to read to you all. And they went, oh, they got thrilled. I mean, all day. Miss Jones, when? She said, after lunch. Oh, they were just, she said, Jane, I've never seen children so excited. She said, so after lunch, Cal walks in. She says, ta da, here's the surprise. And they cut their eyes at her and said, Miss Jones, you a liar. You a liar. That ain't Beyonce. How does a person pursue that? To be honest with you, 
I, on my own, I just sent my recording to Sirius. I actually sent it to Laugh USA, and I had no idea they would pick it up. But they did, and I was I was so thrilled that I have sent so much stuff to them. And I will say I'm very thankful they play everything I send. Wow. And I'm tickled. And then I started writing funny songs, and I've got a new song that they have not received yet. They haven't started playing it yet, I should say. Um, it's called The Waffle House Virgin. To qualify it, it's dedicated to my 85-year-old young-at-heart friend, who for Valentine's Day, we took she and her husband just as a joke, which ended up being a lot of fun, to the Waffle House. And she'd never been there before. The waitress asked her, Hun, what can I get you? She said, you see, I am brand new. Is love on your menu? Now walk through that door I am a virgin at this Waffle House I never let this food touch my mouth She lost her virginity At the Waffle House What would you advise, you know, just speakers in general, what would you say to focus on uh, that, that gets them to the point where they've got things like the Sirius XM radio uh, revenue source and the other types of uh, business? Well, I know that several speakers have engaged in a new sponsored NSA off the, off the cuff. I can't remember the exact name, but they're offering uh, training digitally. Yeah. I just think that's where we are. You know, I think we need to have a, a platform presence, but mm-hmm. we would be foolish not to have a digital presence, if at all possible. If you've got something of value, you need to be sharing that beyond the platform, because I don't know about you, Jim, but back of the room sales are not what they used to be, no. especially for the younger generation. They don't want all that. Uh, so everybody's doing the downloadable MP3 stuff. So we got to remember that's where we're going. There are some, some members that are taking thumb drives, you know, USB drives, and loading that up, putting all their ebooks if they have multiple books on it, and then selling that for a premium price so that the person gets all of that resource with one tiny little tool. And it, I love that. It's today's equivalent of the cassettes of the past or the records before that. People just don't want to think. Everybody's so ADD. <laughs> and you, you just gotta it's just like when I when I did the book and the my publisher said the most important thing you can do is for that little tiny square on Amazon to say what the book is yeah that is so important so it's the elevator speech and it's compacted even more into a a half of a, of a one floor up elevator ride. Yeah and it's got to come from who you are not just what you decided you wanted to mimic. And the only way you can really understand who you are is through life and time. Time tells you who you are. Yeah. We need humor. People need to laugh. They need to lighten up. And and that's a gift that I'm thankful I can give away and share it in a digital and in a platform environment. Well, you have enhanced VOE significantly, and I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. I've I've loved it. (laughs) Good. Thanks. Guess mine is not the first speech canceled. 
thank you for joining us this month on VOE. If you haven't already done so, be sure to download the VOE mobile app and listen to us from your phone or tablet. The first tab in the app's lineup each month is VOE Entire Issue. That one will play the entire CD without pauses, or you can select one interview at a time if you wish. Go to www.nsaspeaker.org for details on all of NSA's services. I'd like to thank the wonderful VOE team for another great month. Alina Ettringer at High Point University, John Schwartz, our special editor, Rocky Heyer at Master Video, Barbara Paris and the NSA editorial staff, plus special correspondent Monica Wofford. Till next month, this is Jim Cathcart saying, stay tuned. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.